23% of all species held in zoos are threatened with extinction. So if you flip that, that means 77% are not threatened with extinction, and yet zoos continuously keep them and breed them. everyone. Welcome to the Rising Lioness podcast. Today, we dive deep into the truth behind the zoo industry. I'm your host, Erica Salvamini, and today we'll be shedding light on the harsh truth that zoos are not always the sanctuaries and safe, ha safe havens that they aim to be. Today, we welcome back Devin Show, Campaign's Associate for Born for USA, a wildlife charity fighting against the exploitation of wild animals in captivity. So settle in, folks, as we unravel the secrets of the zoo industry. And welcome back, Devin. Thank you so much for being here again. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, it's always good to chat with you. Awesome. So, yeah, why don't we go ahead and we'll just jump right in. I wanted to ask you about a recent Reuters article from October 31st, 2023, which has raised some questions about the partnership between the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. And despite the industry's claims of prioritizing conservation and animal welfare, the partnership has been criticized for prioritizing profits over the well-being of the animals. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on the implications of this partnership. Yeah, absolutely. So, um First of all, just the article title itself, um, it's called Trafficked Wildlife Find Safe Haven in U.S. Zoos. Um, I think that right off the bat is a bit problematic, but I'll return to that in a bit. Um, so as you said, the article describes the recent partnership between the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the Association of Zoos and Aquariums to launch this pilot wildlife confiscations network in Southern California. Um, and their eventual goal is to roll out this program across the country to other trafficking hotspots like Miami and El Paso um, in efforts to provide homes for many of the animals rescued from the illegal wildlife trade. Right. Um, so from the article, um, it said that between 2015 and 2019, the Fish and Wildlife Service had to find care and homes for nearly 50,000 trafficked animals linked to more than 800 criminal referrals. So that really speaks to the extent to which this illegal wildlife trade is occurring within the United States. It's a huge problem. Right. Um, there's a lot of things that need to be done in attempts to regulate it and decrease the occurrence at which it happens. Um, and one of the main problems with this is that when live animals are refused clearance at ports or airports, um, or they're seized or abandoned, um, time is really of the essence. By this point, um, the trafficked animals will be in dire shape physically and mentally. Um, they'll be extremely um, in poor and unsanitary travel conditions for the past hours, potentially days right. um, en route to their final destination. And this is where things like dehydration, stress, hunger, sickness will be setting in for these animals. Um, and they really need urgent care from experts to survive at that point. Um, so it's really critical that animal experts can intervene and save these animals um, because this wildlife trafficking industry doesn't have um, 
good standards or any standards by which they need to transport these animals. So that's really um, the first problem. And um, unfortunately, instead of funneling resources into efforts to um, rehabilitate these animals and rewild them when it may be possible, um, instead we are funneling these animals back into zoos, which are industries that profit off of the entertainment of animals to people. Um, that's the business. So um, unfortunately, I think we are funneling resources into the wrong um, avenue. Uh, and I think the potential um, to help animals that have been rescued from the wildlife trade has been um, undermined from doing this. Now, it's important to note that a lot of legitimate animal sanctuaries and rehabilitation centers are already at capacity um, unfortunately. So they don't have a lot of room to accept animals that are rescued from the wildlife trade in the same volume that zoos might be able to because they do tend to have more financial um, resources than rehabilitation centers and rescue centers. Um, so it's it's a big problem to tackle. Um, but I think I think by partnering with zoos, um, it's not exactly treating the um, the root cause of this issue. I think it's more treating the symptom that's resulting from this larger issue. But um, right. again, I think by design, this problem is so big that um, it needs to be tackled piecemeal. And um, I'm not sure that we would have any other options at this point other than to send animals to zoos. Right. It sounds like it's a very complex, multi-layered problem. And I'm not trying to, you know, the purpose of the show is to not just uh, beat up on zoos and any of the good work that some of them are doing. And like you said, it's just there's a there's so many layers of issues here that these animals don't really have anywhere else to go. And so there needs to be some kind of oversight, you know, that that addresses all of these issues that you laid out some kind of rehabilitation center needs to be created in the areas of wherever they're you know wherever these main hubs are which sounds like number one is which was going to be my next question the southern california area has been labeled as an epicenter for trafficked wildlife and then you mentioned miami and some other areas but how does this tie into the larger issue of the illegal wildlife trade? The fact that that California is labeled as an epicenter. Right. Yeah. So um, places near uh, the border between South America and Central and North America, like California and Texas, like you mentioned, um, are definitely known as these wildlife smuggling hotspots um, because Central and South America are biodiversity hotspots. Um, and they have a lot of those really popularly illegally traded animals. Um, a lot of them, most of them that are protected by law. So, um, that would include animals like jaguars, howler monkeys, toucans, parakeets, iguanas, the list goes on. Um, these animals are being routinely purchased and sold in places like Mexico, um, and this largely occurs on social media platforms like TikTok and Facebook, which in the online realm of things, it's a lot more difficult for authorities to monitor that um, that track 
the action uh, and also the sales and the breeding um, of these animals, which occurs online. So, um, so I'm sorry, awesome. I don't want to interrupt you, but did you say that a lot of this trafficking is is somehow being funneled or being, I guess, like there's some some type of advertisement for it, if you will, on these social media sites? Correct. Yeah, that's a really? huge. Yeah, a huge market for illegal wildlife trafficking. That's um, incredible. That is yeah. so unbelievably upsetting and needs to be addressed. Absolutely. I mean, I see all of the stuff that's out there, people kissing and, and loving on, you know, wildlife animals that 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 have no business. You know, there there doesn't there's no reason why a jaguar should be sitting on somebody's couch in a living room. People have to wonder why that is, not go aw but I didn't realize it was to the extent that you're saying, which is that it's actually being used to funnel this exploitation. And I'm going to look into this further and I would love to get back with you. Every time I talk to you, it's like, Hey, well, what about that? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I really, because I know that there's some sort of coalition that is, I was just reading about it. I have to do my homework now and get back to you, but it was a coalition put together by three major so-called conservation organizations. And the WWF was one of them. But the WWF, from what I understand, one of the founders was, in fact, I don't know if he's still part of it. I don't know if he's part of the WWF, but was a trophy hunter. So that is the, yeah, that's the the foundation of that conservation organization. As we're sitting here talking about what are these so-called conservation organizations? Let's peel back the layers and shine a big bright light here and see who actually is real conservation. Maybe back in the day, at one point, they could have been considered that when there was actual empathy still around. And there wasn't this you know insane wildlife tra- trafficking that's going on that's m- akin to, you know, major drug dealing cartels. I mean, the money is the same. The amount of money that's being brought in, these industries are just as lucrative. And so they're just as dangerous as well. Anyway, I'm sorry, I don't mean to get off track, but uh, that really brings up a whole other avenue that we should, and I would love to address it at another point. But um, getting back to the article, the article mentions the wildlife, you know what, before I do that, I totally cut you off. Is there anything else um, based on the, the the last conversation we were talking about, about the 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 area, the area where these hotbeds are? Yeah, I mean, um, just kind of building off of what you were just saying, actually, um, before I get back into that um, and about sort of like the overlap between other criminal enterprises and wildlife trafficking. Um, uh, there's a lot of information about that overlap. Um, it's an increasing area of research and it's fascinating um, because we've learned that the same avenues that can be used to transport certain illegal items or illegal beings um, are largely the same that can be used to transport illegal wildlife. Um, so there are a lot of different estimates of the value of illicit wildlife trafficking around the world. but. Um, One stat I wanted to share with you today, or a few, um, according to the Wildlife Conservation Society, um, unreported and unregulated fisheries trade alone are estimated to be between 4.2 billion and 9.5 billion 
per year. Billion um, with a B. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So um, illicit wildlife trafficking is estimated to be between $7.8 billion and $10 billion per year. Um, and then the illegal timber trade is estimated to be as much as $7 billion per year. So combining all of these numbers, all illicit wildlife trafficking, including fisheries, including timber, um, comprise the fourth largest global illegal trade only after narcotics, human trafficking, and counterfeit products. Wow. So illegal wildlife trafficking is big business. There are big profits to be made. Um, and unfortunately, in this case, it is with living um, beings who are disappearing in their natural environment. So um, it's a huge problem. And I don't think a lot of people realize the extent to which it occurs around the world. Right, right. Folks need to really pay attention. I know most of our audience are already in with the you know animal advocacy world and support it and but maybe don't necessarily realize to the extent that this is going on and whether you do or do not, please, you know, let other people know this has to be, you know, mentioned to your kids because our kids are on these social media sites and they just, you know, they're just being kids trying to watch a TikTok or whatever. And these, these videos are passing by and passing through and people are just becoming numb to it as though it's a normal regular occurrence and it's totally fine and we cannot let that happen we absolutely cannot just go about our business and let it become part of the norm in our lives this is there's nothing normal about any of this exploiting the earth exploiting animals exploiting human beings um children it, you know it's just all of it is is obviously wrong to us we have moral compasses and we're using them, but not everybody is, or some people just aren't aware and the awareness is super huge. So um, and that's to why we do this and we try to try to make a difference. So I, I did want to ask about the article mentioning the Wildlife Confiscations Network. How, how effective do you think such initiatives are or, and have been in curbing the trafficking problem, if at all? Yeah, so I think at this point, although the animals rescued from this trade do need a place to go, um, as I said before, we're still really just treating a resulting symptom instead of in you know improving the root cause of the problem or addressing that really. Yeah. So um, instead of automatically rehoming most animals in zoos, um, like I said, I think the resources need to instead be directed towards rewilding these animals. Um, and of course, many of these animals may not have the survival skills necessary to make it in the wild um, if they were taken too quickly from their mothers, if they never had the ability to socialize with others in their species, um, if they never learned the skills needed to feed themselves in the wild, find shelter, socialize appropriately with you know, others in their species, those can all be things that would work against them. and um, lead to them not being successful in the wild. But I think, especially for species, the most threatened with extinction in the wild, we need to be funneling more resources into increasing these species populations in the wild, instead of just putting them back into a perpetual cycle of being born and kept in captive places. Right. Um, so, and, and like I said, I just want to reiterate the problem 
with giving these animals to zoos is that zoos are perpetuating the idea that money can be made off of these animals. Um, so as long as zoos are continuing to confirm this idea, um, others will continue exploiting animals for profit too. So zoos are touting themselves constantly as places of education, conservation, awareness, welfare. Um, but the fact of the matter is as long as they continue accepting animals for money, um, these things really aren't being appropriately met, um, or at least met in the ways that they claim to. Um, so the other thing that I think we really need to pay attention to is, um, like I was saying, we are treating symptoms, not the root cause. And I think the root cause can really be improved by focusing on improving legislation in regards to protecting these animals and also enforcement. Uh, when people are caught illegally trafficking animals, especially protected animals, what is the responding action? Um, so the regulating body um, of international trade of plants and animals is called CITES, which um, stands for the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora. Um, and so countries can opt to be members of that. Um, the United States has been a member for several years. And the Lacey Act also protects wildlife, fish, and plants that are illegally taken. Um, so these two things are working together to try to um, limit the occurrence of illegal trafficking, but it still occurs at such a large extent because the demand is there for so many different products that wild animals can become involved in, like bushmeat, um, ingredients for traditional Eastern medicine, exotic pets is a huge one, jewelry, accessories, furs, things like that. Um, so really it's, it's the, in the need is to tighten state and federal legislation even more than it already is. Um, so I think that, um, we really need to focus our energy into that because that at the end of the day will protect human public health and safety and also that of the animals that most need it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that you could send those links to me um, for those two organization names that you mentioned, the the acronyms for them, so that folks can, you know, we're we're heading into an election year and it's a really important time where we as constituents have our voices are really, you know, people are the, the people in politics are sitting up and whether they're really going to do what they say they're going to do or not, they pretend and we have the vote. And so we get to say, this is what we want. And we get to talk to our politicians and say, well, what about this? What about that? How do you feel about this? What are you going to do about, you know, the confiscation of all these wildlife animals and uh, the thrill killing that goes on in the country now and all these other horrible, hideous things. So folks, this is the time we're in that one, one year window where in less than a one, one year window, we're going to elect a new president. And who is that going to be? That's a really big question, isn't it? So I'd love to get whatever links and information you have. And I'll, I'll put that together in with the posts that I send out when we promote the, this podcast for people, because our animal advocate network out there community of people who want to help the animals would definitely want to speak up. I'm certain of that and talk about it. And we have another show coming up about legislation and we're trying to coach people on how to go about, you know, 
normalizing that that should be a normal thing right we should make it pretty normal and and everyday occurrence to be able to speak up and speak out for the things that mean something to us protecting our children protecting the earth protecting the animals and this is all really important stuff so absolutely yeah and i just want to emphasize how important it is not only at the national level to um speak your mind make your vote but also at the state level because the state level um a lot of the time especially with animal law um it starts at the state level first and once things are passed at that level then maybe it can progress to federal legislation so um in regards to laws for exotic animals um just 22 states which is like 43 percent of the united states have implemented laws that regulate trade in quote dangerous wildlife or animals that the state has deemed to be inherently dangerous to human health and safety um, and the environment and agriculture and wildlife in the state so um these laws are very lax at this point in time. And they're really, they're not regulating exotic animal ownership or the breeding of exotic animals or the keeping of exotic animals. Um, So that's another thing I really wanna stress because that's where we can make this change at a scale that will really make a difference. Yeah, that's important. It's really important. That never used to be allowed. You know, I'm, I'm a bit older than you are, but I remember, like, to me, this is so off the charts bizarre. Like, we, you could never be allowed to have wild animals in your home. And now it's like, you just see it. It's everywhere. It's like becoming normal and commonplace, which is, get, you know, again, gets to the idea that we can't allow that to be the case. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you about the Big Cat Public Safety Act which was passed into law recently, which was a wonderful thing. But unfortunately, some zoos failed to keep proper records of their big cats, which we now know. And so this documentary, this wonderful, amazing documentary, which I hope everybody will check out, called The Conservation Game, found that some of these big cats were lost and could not be tracked. And while this is common and unfortunate for other animals like elephants and giraffes, it was discovered that some of these lost big cats They had been sold to roadside zoos and being exploited, which is horrible. And these zoos were using these big cats for TV shows and cub petting and Lord knows what else. Right. So I wanted to ask you if you could comment on some of this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So theoretically, the passage of the Big Cat Public Safety Act should have curbed most of the incentive for facilities like zoos to, quote, lose their big cats, um, AKA potentially sell them to uh, facilities, like you mentioned, like, you know, non-regulated zoos, um, uh, cub petting facilities, things like that. Um, Because these money-making exploitative practices like cub petting, like photo ops should have been banned with the passage of this legislation in 2022. Um, So, Problematically, through our own research for reports focusing on large mammals in captivity, like you mentioned, the giraffes and elephants, um, we did find instances similar to those that the conservation game found with big cats um, of zoos losing track of animals altogether. So entire individuals were essentially um, gone from the records. They were lost. Um, So when this happens, they are um, noted as LTF, which stands for loss to follow up. Um, 
And this happens a lot more frequently than it should or than people would expect, um, mostly because just losing one animal in itself, um, an animal as big as an elephant or a giraffe seems insane, right? Right. Especially for institutions like zoos that are constantly saying that they are there for the purpose of conserving these animals and protecting them, right? How is that happening if you are losing entire animals? You're losing track of entire animals. Sounds Um, intentional, actually. Right. Yeah. And honestly, we don't know because we really just um, reached the tip of this unknown iceberg uh, through our own research. So in the research we've done for our bigger reports on larger mammals in captivity, like the giraffe report, like the elephant report, um, we've discovered that um, this has occurred uh, a lot. So um, data in the 2020 AZA stud book, and just in case anyone doesn't know what stud books are, um, stud books are um, essentially logs that zoos accredited uh, with the Association of Zoos and Aquariums are required to keep for certain species that basically um, details major events in their life histories. So they have, um, for each individual animal, they have their birth, um, their, how many transfers they had throughout their life to which facilities their and also their death. Um, so they have all of those dates and the locations and all of those things. Um, those, those are all supposed to be logged in each stud book so that the complete life history is known for each individual animal. Um, so for giraffes data in the 2020 AZA stud book, Uh, dates back to the first documented giraffe in 1945, and it logs almost 9,800 individuals total. And we discovered that 1,195 of these individuals or just over 12% of all entries were marked as lost to follow-up. That's Um, horrendous. Right. So this means that main life events were essentially unknown, including their age, location, transfer history, time of death, all of these things are unknown, essentially. Um, They lost track of it. Um, Similarly for elephants, um, according to the 2018 AZA African Elephant Stud Book, the North American captive African elephant historical population included 567 total individuals with that first entry listing an individual with an unknown name born in the year of 1800. Entries indicating that data were, quote, lost to follow up or unknown occurred in this stud book 256 times, suggesting that life events, dates, locations regarding these elephants will remain unknown. What's Um, the percentage on that? 200 something out of 500 something? Is that correct? So, yeah, it was 256 entries out of 567 total individuals. But I do want to emphasize that. The 256 is not individuals total. That is the number of times that data was marked as lost to follow-up or unknown. So that includes individuals and also the number of times that someone wrote that they didn't know something about this elephant. Is that, Um, is that, can that information be um, divided out or is is that just how you're presenting it or do they have that information? Like, So out of that 256 LTF, you know, X number of elephants actually went missing and the rest is just, you know, lost data. Does that information exist? 
Yeah, that could that could be um, tallied up for sure. Um, it would just take a lot of really extensive um, research because yeah. what you would have to do is you would have to see if they did mark an individual as you know lost to follow up or an event as unknown. You would have to try to cross reference it with. There's actually another website called. It's just, I think it's just called the elephant database and it has every elephant around the world in captivity and their complete life histories online. Um, so you would essentially have to cross-reference that and it's very sort of do your own detective work. Yes. Yeah, it would, it would take forever because there are a ton of, you know, individual cells with this information. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it is possible. Um, I so yeah. Yeah, this is yep. the whole system is very convoluted and confusing. And I don't know, call me a, a skeptic, uh, suspicious. I don't know, but it doesn't sound doesn't none of it bodes well for the animals. That's all I know. And it, no, not at all. And that's the most important part, right? Because um, we were talking about big cats. And so I want to stress this is an international stud book. So these numbers are just going to be larger because it's um, worldwide institutions, but, um, the 2019 cheetah international stud book, um, actually has an entire section devoted to loss to follow-up individuals logged since 1969, because there are so many of them. Um, so, um, it seems that, uh, in total 65 animals at 11 facilities were marked as loss to follow-up in 2019. Um, with the majority of these facilities being in South Africa. Um, and then since 1990, there have been 963 animals that have become lost to follow up. That's so shady. it's quite extensive. Yeah, yeah, it's really shady, especially with mm -hmm. this this wildlife tra trafficking going on. You you have it does definitely beg the question, like what's really happening with these animals and what are they doing with them? Where Absolutely. Because we just don't know. Um, right. And then the last species I really wanted to highlight because they're just a very interesting case. Um, so the scimitar horned oryx, um, they are actually extinct in the wild. They are native to northern Africa, um, but they are bred in captivity and they're used for year round trophy hunting around the United States with a lot of the ranches being in Texas. So um, they're also widely kept in zoos around the country. So, um, in the current international stud book of these animals between 2020 and 2021, eight individuals went lost to follow up in the United States, all from the same owner, which seems very weird to me. Weird. Uh, That's a good word. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the historical international stud book, which started in 1896 and goes through 2021, there were 3,243 instances of um, loss to follow-up being for this, noted. For this so one particular species, species that is in yeah. fact extinct in the wild, but mm -hmm. bred in captivity, specifically it sounds like and solely so humans can kill them. That exactly. is yeah. tragic and it just goes to highlight the uh, how far humanity has fallen from grace. My goodness. That's, uh, that's horrifying. That, that says so much about what's happening in the world today, that that's what we're doing. 
It does. And of course, like if, if you ever want to, if you're ever in the position where you are arguing with someone who is pro trophy hunting for conservation, because that argument has been made in the past, people say, Oh, "Oh, it helps generate money for these animals to be better conserved in the wild. This is the prime example you can use because if you Google trophy hunting um, of the scimitar horned oryx, you will not find any ranch trophy hunting ranch that will tell you about how they are conserving this species or how they're planning to reintroduce them into the wild. It just doesn't exist because it isn't a priority for them. They just want to make a profit off of killing these animals who no longer exist in the wild. Right. So So they can put it up on their wall at home and, and point to their friends. Look how awesome. Look how cool I am. Look what I did. Look what I killed. Yeah. And if you have lots of money, you can do it too. And you can be part of our cool, you know, I don't know, group of people who are, who are subhumans and uh, they do not deserve to walk on this planet with these wonderful, beautiful, perfect, sentient beings that are from the animal kingdom. I'm just, I'm, I don't want to use the word disgusted, but because that's not a nice word, but I am (laughs) just, I I don't even know what to say. I'm, I'm, it's, uh, it's astonishing. I'm never, it is. Yeah. Sometimes I am at a loss for words with this stuff. This would be one of those moments. Um, You know, I was going to ask you about the alarming statistics related to the wildlife trafficking. um, But, you know, you you did cover quite a bit of that already. So I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to to mention. Um, Otherwise, we can we can just kind of move on from there. I mean, um, we did talk about kind of globally, yeah. uh, wildlife trafficking statistics, but if you're, if you're interested, um, just within the United States, um, specifically the U S is the largest importer of live wildlife in the world. So we import more than 220 million wild animals in one year. Um, it's pretty legally. crazy. Legally. Yeah, Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just not even covering the illegal, illegal. wildlife trade. <laughs> um, so yeah. um, that's yeah. what what is that? What is that broken down by? Like, what is the category of that? Where if we're the largest importer of wildlife animals, is that is that like just for zoos? Is that for what is that it for? includes everything. Um, so. Uh, I can actually, I'll send you the article. Yeah, um, that would be great. Please get more specific. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, But it will include all um, legally allowed live wild animals that enter through the US. So you have to also think about, I mean, fish accounts for a very large percentage of that. And those are, you know, tiny. Some of them are very small when they're transferred. So that really adds up quickly. Um. But yeah, um, that's it is a very astounding um, statistic, and just um, sort of separate from that, but part of it, the U.S. exotic pet trade is valued at fifteen billion dollars per year, um, and by some estimates, this really speaks to how common it has become to own exotic animals. Um, there are as many exotic pets in the U.S. as there are cats and dogs. Come on, uh, stop it! Are you kidding me? I am not. 
I am not. It is it is crazy when you put it in those terms, for sure. Yeah, so. it's really uh, super shocking. I did not expect you to say that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, there are some estimates that suggest non-native wild animals captively bred in the U.S. altogether number in the tens of millions. So some exotic animal dealers actually keep more than 25,000 wild animals together at a single facility. And um, this, of course, leads to public health concerns as a lot of these animals are packed in very tight conditions. And you have the same issues as I was describing earlier with uh, wild animals in transit for wildlife trafficking purposes. I mean, highly stressed animals have decreased immune system function. Um, They can, you know, acquire and transfer diseases a lot more easily. Um, And there's just a lot of risks associated with keeping that many animals in the same place. So um, it's, it's really, it's really crazy when you look at the numbers. Yeah. Not to mention how traumatizing it is for all of these poor animals. And absolutely, uh, you know, humans need to realize like this is the kind of stuff that's going on and these facilities are are all over our country now that we know we are the number one uh exporter importer of wild animals right here in the united states again that gets back to legislation and this is an election year so folks let's uh let's bring our voices together and speak as one voice to say no no more we do not want this and open the cages open the doors and let those wild animals be wild put them back where they belong this is not right there's nothing there's nothing okay about any of this so absolutely and when you think about for all the animal advocates listening when you think about the conditions that you see at zoos how small those enclosures are just think about what it's like behind closed doors at facilities that don't allow the public in um, at those wild animal breeding facilities. Um, just think about that and um, how they're I'm sure it's, it, yeah. it's yeah, it's a nightmare. It's a living nightmare for these animals. I know the last podcast you we were on together and you mentioned about how the polar bear, the the enclosures and the amount of space that they're given, it's you know akin to a human living their life inside a telephone booth and that has not left me and it like rang in my in my head and in my heart and it's just it's so unbelievably sad and devastating that this is what we are doing we are actively seeking out to torture animals all over the world and and then we go and we watch it as as if you know doing it isn't enough then we go and we watch it and we pay for it and there's, it's not okay. And we have to stop and we have to really consider what, what we've turned into. And is this the way we're going to continue moving forward? Or are we going to create a new earth, a better one that is modeled after love and light and empathy for each other and for the animals? I don't know. I prefer the latter myself. So, Same. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think we've covered the uh, the misconception about zoos being conservationists. I don't think we can actually say that they're really conserving much, unless there's anything uh, left on that topic that you'd like to address before we uh, near the end of this. Um, 
Yeah, I think just to kind of drive home the points we've already discussed, um, as you know, I do like the facts. I like the numbers because, um, of course, this is an emotional topic for everybody who cares about animals, who loves animals, who wants to um, not have to witness the extinction of so many species throughout our lifetimes. Um, but um, just to throw a couple more numbers at you, um, in terms of conservation, um, 23% of all species held in zoos are threatened with extinction. So if you flip that, that means 77% are not threatened with extinction. And yet zoos continuously keep them and breed them. That's to a be lot. Kept. Yeah. Yeah. So 77% of, you know, all of these animals don't need to be, definitely don't deserve to be confined um, to super small enclosures, not free to live there lives as they were meant to. So um, it's, it's unnecessary. Um, and it's just not helping. It's it, zoos have been around for hundreds of years at this point. Um, you know, the, the first zoos started in the 1800s. So um, be, it, it's important to really come to terms with the fact that if zoos haven't improved significantly, the conservation of animals at this point in time, after being in operation for over a century, um, they won't do that ever because it's not in their interest. Um, the goal of sanctuaries, legitimate sanctuaries, is to eventually go out of business, right? Like no legitimate sanctuary or rescue rehabilitation center wants to stay in business because their goal is to keep these animals where they belong in the wild um, and not need a purpose anymore to run. Um, like the primate sanctuary that Born Free USA runs. We eventually, it would make us so happy if we could um, shut that place down because we no longer need to house animals from traumatic situations because those traumatic situations just cease to exist in the future. That would be the ultimate goal. Um, but instead these zoos are profit-based so they are going to continue to have and produce these animals, especially cute, cuddly baby animals. There's an incentive to have those animals there to perpetuate this cycle. So, um, yeah, zoos, zoos definitely are not there in the best interest of the animals they right. have. They're, they're profit driven. And that's just a fact. And Absolutely. we need to realize that. So, you know, we always try to and on a positive note or a, a hopeful one anyway. And so, you know, we're discussing the dark side of the zoo industry, but it is important to remember that we all can make a difference and we always try to, you know, drive that point home. So Devin, um, which I always ask you towards the end, is there something that you would like to suggest or some ideas for individuals so that they can, you know, action that they can take to support wildlife initiatives and oppose these exploitative practices? Definitely. Um, the first thing I would suggest that we have already mentioned is the importance of using your vote, um, using whatever resources you have to contact your local lawmakers and tell them that they should support legislation like the Captive Primate Safety Act, which is similar to the Big Cat Public Safety Act, um, except for primates. So supporting... Seven, I don't mean yeah. to interrupt you, but your voice your audio just got a little wonky. I don't know if you're hearing that on your side. 
You're not. No, I didn't hear that. Sorry. Okay. I think that just cleared up a little bit. Okay. Go ahead. Hopefully it, it cleared up whatever was happening. Do you want me to say that again? Or no, you well, um, it was, I, we could hear you, but there was like a little bit of like a feedback thing going on and okay. I, it sounds like it cleared up whatever it was. So please, if I didn't interrupt you too terribly, if you'd like to continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. No problem. Um, so I think using your vote is first and foremost, the most important thing people can do, um, really make that change at the state, eventually federal level advocate at that level. It's really important. Um, I think also it's important to share the truth. Um, all of the numbers we discussed today, that is, you know, objectively the truth of the matter. Um, share the stats that we reported during our conversation. Um, share our reports that Born Free has written, confirming that zoos do not do any of the things they claim to. Um, and really taking the initiative to educate people the facts, because zoos clearly have been failing at doing this um, ever since they opened their doors, right? Like, uh, I don't know why they thought they could educate people about wild animals when they're showcasing them in such unnatural environments, right? In such unnatural constraints. So um, I think really speaking out on behalf of the animals is really important um, to anyone who will listen. And um, you can take our zoo pledge, which uh, basically is just to pledge that you won't visit any zoos or aquariums or any other facilities that exploit animals for human entertainment. Um, just don't um, feel the demand for these places to stay in operation. That's really important. Yeah. Um, yeah. And of course, share our reports. Um, anything that we've done, uh, spread the word about wild animals, um, staying in the wild where they belong. Yeah, I love it. It's great. It's all great information. Um, if you can send me that link as well for the uh, the zoo pledge, I think that's wonderful. We can attach all this in the description of the uh, podcast on YouTube. And thank you, Devin. I really appreciate you and all of your information. And folks, by supporting ethical wildlife initiatives and opposing exploitative practices, we're all helping create a better future for animals in captivity. And hopefully they will no longer be in captivity and we can do something about that. So whether it's volunteering or donating, using your voice, spreading awareness, every action absolutely does count and makes a difference. And if, again, we work together as one voice, the power that we have is unstoppable, frankly, you know, it's exponentially growing and we need to continue that forward. So thank you for tuning into today's episode of the Rising Lioness podcast. We hope this conversation has opened your heart and your mind to the harsh reality of the zoo industry being a profit-driven one and inspires everyone to take action and uh, help support the ethical wildlife initiatives. And remember, we all have a role to play in ending the exploitation of all animals. So let's stay informed, stay engaged, and join us next time as we continue to explore important issues related to animal welfare and conservation. And please, if you wouldn't mind, Follow us on social media and share this podcast with your friends and family. Join the conversation using hashtags mentioned in the show's description. And Devin, always thank you so much. It's a pleasure to have you here. And 
uh, your work with Born for USA is so important and your dedication is bar none. And I really enjoy this with you. But again, I wish that you and I didn't have to have these conversations. We, we could just talk about silly, frivolous things instead of all of this stuff. But we just keep on plugging away and, and be hopeful. And one day, maybe that we can have that conversation. And I really look forward to seeing you again in the future. And thank you. Wishing you a wonderful day. Everybody, thank you all. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Erica. Of course. Take care. Thanks, Devin. Bye. Bye.